So we are continuing a sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a Greek city called Corinth. It was a wild, licentious, very relativistic city um, and uh, kind, of a, kind of a postmodern city uh, in, in some ways, although this was 2,000 years ago. It was uh, sort of on the cutting edge of culture back in the day. Paul is talking to the church about some uh, troubles that they had being a church and, and living the life of faith. Really, it's a letter about how to live out your faith on a day-to-day basis, what it takes to actually live out what you believe. And uh, Paul has covered some major issues like, um, you know, how to be unified as a church, how to handle sin in the church. Uh, Recently, he's been talking about uh, the way that the Holy Spirit empowers each of us to minister together as a church, as a faith community. Um, right smack dab in the middle of what is the longest essay on spiritual gifts and personal ministry in, in the whole Bible, he inserts uh, a, a love poem. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is probably a familiar piece of scripture to you. It is the one that everybody reads at their wedding. Uh, but it is actually inserted into uh, the middle of an essay on spiritual gifts the tools that God has given each of us uh, to to minister in the world. So today, we are essentially going to talk about love and the way of love, which I hear is an important thing. Love? What do you think? Love? Pro? Who's pro-love? Who is kind of like against love? All right, all right. I I think that's about 50-50. I got... uh, I got a note this week uh, from a high school acquaintance on um, a person that I knew exceptionally well. She was a year behind me in my uh, tiny rural high school. Uh, here's the note. Hello, uh, Jordan. Uh, are you the one that attended Crater High School? I hope you are him. Uh, you used to talk to me when hardly anyone else did. I had a really tar- hard time at home, and you made a difference in my life. Thank you. That was a note. After... Uh, over 25 years, uh, she just writes me to, to thank me for basically being nice to her in high school. Um, lovely that she would do this, that she would track me down after all this time, uh, just, to say, just to say, hey, thanks, you made a difference to me. Um, I, I remember uh, the girl, like a lot of us, she was poor. I grew up in a fairly poor place. She came from uh, a broken family, like a lot of us. I grew up in sort of a dysfunctional place uh, in those terms. Uh, her broken family was exceptional. It involved some, uh, you know, cool issues like kidnapping and deceit and stuff like that. Um, but uh, just a, a sweet little girl, as I recall. Uh, the thing is, I can't remember the content of a single conversation I ever had with her. Uh, I was thinking about that. I was like, Man, I, okay, I guess I said some nice things to her along the way. And, and paid attention to her. Can't remember specifically a single thing uh, that I said. Uh, I just apparently talked to her uh, when no one else was talking to her in high school. Uh, she was displaced, and I, I kind of, I guess, uh, made it a point to, to make her feel 
less so. I was not a sophisticated kid. I was not a well-churched kid. I was a believer, but um, I, was, I was pretty ragged in a lot of ways. Uh, I would say, though, that I was, I was a good-hearted kid. You know, I, I think I would say that, you know, honestly. I, I was a good-hearted and kind young man. That's it. That is it. That's the kind of what I had going for me. Uh, as a minister, uh, quote unquote, back in those days. It was nothing big at all. And believe me, I had my own issues in high school. Um, all I was, was, was kind of kind um, throughout all of my high school years. But I get one of these types of notes at least once a year over the last 25 years. Uh, people writing me to say, you to say, essentially, you were kind to me in a way that changed my life. Some people have written and said, you were kind to me one day and it literally saved my life, kept me from, from killing myself. About once a year, I get notes like that. Um, someone from the past hunting me down to tell me that something very small that I did significantly shaped their life. What do you think about that? It always amazes me. Uh, when these things pop up. Uh, and, and it makes me think about the, the power of, of love. Love, I think, is, is rare enough in the world that people find it very memorable when it happens to them. It really sticks out. It's also powerful enough that even in very small amounts, it can do life-changing things. It can, a random kind interaction can, can save a life. Simple conversations that you have, just, just to be nice to someone, can significantly shape um, their life. Even in small amounts, very powerful. Um, and yet, frankly, you know, here, more than 25 years out of high school. Um, if I were to be honest with you, I would say that I think more about being clever or being powerful than I think about being loving. I just don't think about love all that much. How about you? Well, what, what do we think about instead of just thinking about love? What, what do we do? rather than just simply be loving in the world. I mean, we do all sorts of stuff. We think about clever. We think about being powerful. We think about success. Uh, we think about self-realizing. We think about where and how we're gifted. Uh, but we probably don't simply think about love often enough. And I think that's why Paul put 1 Corinthians 13 in the middle of his teaching on spiritual gifts. Um, he's just talked in 1 Corinthians 12 about everybody has a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. How every gift and every person must be honored within the church. We have to figure out a way to get everybody to play in the grand game of ministry. We have to make sure that you're all using the gifts that God gives you. And then he stops and he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And he launches into this. 
1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noisemaker. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked as a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, Uh, but the greatest of these is love. Um, I don't know if that started out as a poem. It's only 13 verses long. It's packed, obviously. This is something that Paul meditated on a lot and has presented in a way that can almost be called poetry. This is something that Paul rehearsed. This is something that Paul packaged. This was a teaching that he had in his back pocket. Uh, Evidently, he thought it was very useful. So at the end of uh, chapter 12, Paul says, yeah, everybody has spiritual gifts. Everybody must use their spiritual gifts. Everybody must use their spiritual gifts together. Now I will show you the most excellent way. That's how it is often translated at the end there, 1 Corinthians 12, the beginning of chapter 13. The most excellent way of dot, 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 of what? Well, I will show you the most excellent way of using all these wonderful gifts that God gives you. That's what he's talking about. Uh, Whatever gift you have, whatever spiritual gift you have, if you have the gift of prophecy, if you have the gift of healing, if you have the gift of teaching, if you have the gift of administration, if you have the gift of helps, if you have the gift of hospitality, whatever it is that God has gifted you in, in this life, use it lovingly. That is the best way to use it. That's the most excellent way of, of using it. Whatever you have to do, whatever you have to use, use it lovingly, and that will be, in the immortal words of Bill and Ted, most excellent. Am I dating myself? High school was over 25 years ago. Anybody remember the 80s? Anybody? Early Keanu Reeves? No? <clears throat> um, so, so after making a big deal about saying that everybody has spiritual gifts from God and that we should honor each one and use them together. He says, it's not so much what gift you have, it's how you use it that counts most. Whatever, whatever you have, use it lovingly. Um, 
how we use our gifts, uh, it turns out, uh, is a little more important uh, than what gifts we have. Um, he brackets uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, at the end of chapter 12, he says, I will show you the most excellent way. And then at the very, uh, at the very end, excuse me, at the very beginning of chapter 14, he says, so follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. He goes back to the topic of spiritual gifts in chapter 14, which we'll talk about next week again, is about spiritual gifts that you, you may have and how to use them together in, in church. The way of love is how you want to apply yourself in life, is essentially Paul's teaching here. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is about. Um, I think in the kingdom of God, as, as we have uh, occasionally discussed here at Blue Water, uh, one of the great truisms is that love precedes power. Uh, where there are works of great love, then we see great release of kingdom power, of supernatural power. Sacrifice equals power, and sacrifice is the currency of love, right? When you sacrifice yourself for someone, then it sort of opens the floodgates and supernatural power can flow through you, through whatever gifts that you happen to have. Love precedes power, and, and that to me is like, it's like the, you know, the twin drumbeats of the kingdom of God. Great humble sacrifice, love, magnificent power, miracles. Jesus did not come to earth just as a, a mighty miracle worker. He came to earth as a statement of love. His self-sacrifice on the cross, entirely loving, released tremendous supernatural power uh, for resurrection uh, for all eternity, right? So love precedes power. And I think Paul is playing with that theme here as well. If you're going to use supernatural gifts, then make sure you're good at loving people. Make sure you're good at love and you're going to have to meditate on love. So here's a love poem for you uh, to think about. Sacrifice equals power and love always brings change. I think that's true. Love always brings change. If you love someone truly, completely and perfectly, it will change their lives and it will change the world. Do you think that's true? Do you think love always brings change? No, oh, that's a faith point. Uh, I think that's tough uh, to believe in life uh, because we see relationships go wrong so often that it tempts us to think that love is not a very powerful thing. failure of a relationship is not necessarily a failure of love as much as it is an abandonment of love, uh, oftentimes, yeah. Anyway, three things Paul says about love in this text that I think he wants us to meditate upon in particular. Uh, the first one being simply that love is more valuable than anything else. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, he's talking about a supernatural gift here, right? He's talking about the ability to speak in languages that you don't know, what the Bible often calls the gift of tongues. It was the first gift, the first noticeable gift given when the baptism came, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. The first thing that people noticed uh, was that a lot of those assembled began speaking in languages that they didn't know. People on the street could understand what they were saying, but 
they could not. So it was an interesting little miracle. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if I speak in heavenly tongues, if it's that miraculous, but I don't have any love, then I'm just this, I'm just this empty noisemaker. If I'm the greatest prophet ever and can fathom all mysteries... You know, if you are the wise men among wise men, if you are the prophetess among prophetesses and, and you're not a loving person, then it, it, it profits you nothing. Love uh, trumps, as Paul would say to the Galatians in chapter 5 of his epistle to them. Nothing counts but faith expressing itself through love. Which is just one of those statements that Paul makes every once in a while that is, that is staggering. He had thought about this. He definitely thought about this a lot. This is something that he brings up in about every letter he writes. This is how he put it to the Galatians. Nothing counts except faith expressing itself through love. He was talking about keeping religious rules and the law and stuff to the Galatians. He said, guys, don't even think about that. This is what you need to think about. Love people with faith. Love people uh, as you would love them if you believe that God really is true and he really does have your back. Um, love is more valuable than anything. Uh, number two, uh, he says that love has perfectly selfless qualities. Uh, that's how I would summarize it anyway. There's nothing else quite like love in, in, in this regard. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it doesn't boast, it doesn't build itself up, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it doesn't get angry at other people, it keeps absolutely no record of wrongs, you know, totally forgets every bad thing that people ever do. Um, and the way I would summarize all that is, is by saying that love is completely selfless. There is not any selfishness in love. Uh, meaning, of course, there is not any selfishness in a loving person. Uh, love is entirely other-centered. If you are a person possessed by love, you don't think about yourself. You only think about other people. I think the culture that we live in has done a tremendous disservice to love in this sense because we have these stupid phrases like falling in love. You know, you fall in love with someone. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything selfless. I'll tell you that. Uh, if you fall in love with someone, all you're saying to them is, you excite me. You make me feel really good, uh, which is not selfless. <laughs> you know, that's like, I want you. That is self-oriented. It's not sinful because there's nothing wrong with a little romantic chemistry. Honey. You know, I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, that, that, that sort of falling in love is really not about love. It's not, it's not about uh, selflessness. Um, I, uh, I'm fond of saying uh, at weddings, oftentimes, that I don't think people get married for reasons of love. I don't, I don't think that's why people get married. Uh, because you don't marry the person uh, with whom you have to be uh, most patient, uh, you know, most kind. Uh, you, you marry the person that does something for you. You, you marry the person that it's the most fun to be with, right? Uh, the person that, that flips your switch. 
um, the person that gives you a little zing. You marry the person you like most. You do not marry the person with whom your love is most perfect. Because what is perfect love? Uh, no greater love has a person than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Perfect love is dying uh, for someone else. You have heard it said, Jesus says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Are not even the, the, the thieves and the sinners doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. If you want to be perfect, love your enemy. Right? The, the most perfect love you can have is to sacrifice yourself for someone who is trying to destroy you. That's, that's the highest, most perfect, or in the Greek, complete form of love, uh, to sacrifice yourself for someone who will give you absolutely nothing in return. Is that why you get married? So you can sacrifice yourself for someone who will try to destroy you? I'm not talking about the current situation in your marriage, but is that why a person gets married? Uh, no. I'm fond of saying that marriages don't often start in love, but successful ones always find love because there comes a point in every marriage where you, know, you wake up and you look over to the person lying in bed next to you and you think, if I have to spend one more week with this man, I'm going to die. I, hypothetically speaking. Um, and that's the point where the real love starts. That's the point where you start sacrificing yourself. And then, of course, is what you find is if you do it well, it becomes enjoyable and freeing in a whole different way, uh, in a way that romance, shallow romance, would have, would have never gotten you. Um, perfectly selfless. Never gets, uh, never keeps a record of wrongs. Just doesn't even register. You know, when people do something to you, you don't even notice. I think of Jesus hanging on the cross. People are literally beating him to death, right? They are, they are murdering him through torture. Crucifixions and tortures have been in the news of late uh, because there is a you know, fundamentalist Muslim army in the Middle East right now. Uh, maybe you have been paying attention to the headlines that is just going through city after city and crucifying Christians and murdering children publicly because they have professed their faith in Christ. Um, Jesus was, was the first victim uh, of that evil uh, crusade. And uh, as he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. What? No, they, they intend to kill you. They know exactly what they're about. You know, they're trying to, to kill you in a way that is most painful. Uh, they're getting some sort of glee out of it. They consider you nothing. Oh, yeah, but Father, don't just excuse all of that. Forgive them. That was his attitude. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love is nuts. There's something about love that's just a little bit crazy in that sense. Just refuses to see what's in front of it or 
refuses to see only the good bits that are in front of it. Funny that way. And then the third thing is, uh, I would say, love is the only eternal thing, uh, at least in some sense. Um, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And Paul is talking here about eternity. He's talking about the next life, when we enter into eternal life, when we, when we get to live in the very presence of God, when all things are as they ultimately are meant to be. And when we get to that eternal, complete state of existence with the Lord, then a lot of the things that we consider valuable in this life will no longer be all that valuable. Prophecy, for instance. Prophecy is a great gift. Somebody stands up and gives you a prophecy today and tells you a revelation from the Lord, confirms something mysterious in your life, or gives you some sort of life direction that you would not otherwise have had. That's, that's a great piece of wisdom. But look, if you're living in the presence of God, there's no need for the ministry of prophecy. You know, God will be with you. If you ever have a question, you can say, hey, Dad, what about this? He will explain it to you completely. There will be no slippage. Knowledge will be perfect. The gift of prophecy will be valueless in eternity. And so to tongues. I can speak in a language I don't understand. Well, in heaven, I imagine that every language will be intelligible, that people will be perfectly unified. I don't even know what language will be like in heaven. The gift of tongues will be nothing. Knowledge, you know, uh, as it says uh, in the Old Testament uh, prophets, um, there will be uh, no need for instruction in the ways of the Lord. Uh, for the Lord himself will stand with us and say, this is the way and go in it. We will we'll just know things, right? Everything that we consider helpful here won't be helpful in eternity. The only thing that will continue to be glorious and helpful is love. So it's the thing that we want to major on here. Or as Jesus said in a certain parable, um, relationships are the only eternal things. Whatever you have in this world, use it to forge relationships because they're the only thing on this earth that will last into the next. Uh, relationships based on love, uh, presumably. So love is more valuable than anything. Love is perfectly selfless. Love is the eternal thing. It's the thing that will last. It's the thing, therefore, that we want to focus on most if you want to be an eternal sort of person. And that makes for some interesting meditations. Uh, that's sort of a description of the way of love. If you want to live life in the way of love, then your life should be characterized by, by these sorts of, of things. You, uh, you should understand that love is more valuable than anything. It should be the thing that you major on most. Uh, you should understand the character of love, that it is really selfless. Do not be deluded by these false cultural representations of what love is. Understand what maturity in love is about. So, here are a series of what I might call contemplative questions that arise, for me at least, out of this love poem, this meditation on love that Paul sticks right in the middle of his encouragement to use the spiritual gifts that God gives you. Uh, contemplative question number one. Is love a feeling or an action? What do you think? The way that Paul describes it. Is love a feeling that you have, or is it an action that you do in life? Action? Yeah, trick question. Love is a virtue, uh, I think. Uh, it's something that you do 
and so develop in it until it becomes a personal characteristic of you. Love is, is something that you do. It is an action that you do habitually until it becomes part of who you are. And we call that uh, a virtue. Um, it eventually, I think, becomes a feeling. It is not easily angered. Well, that's a very emotional way to characterize love. If you have love, you don't get offended by people. You don't get angered by people. You're always peaceful. Well, that's, that's emotional, but, but how, how does that start? Well, probably through forgiving people or, you know, loving your enemies. That, that's gonna take a lot of willfulness at the beginning, right? Uh, but eventually it becomes habitual for you and it's just, it's just who you are. You become the sort of person that is just sort of kind to people offhandedly. You, just, you don't just do kindness, you actually become a kind person. You don't just do forgiveness, you actually become a forgiving person, a person who doesn't even notice wrongs. People could be beating you and you're like, you're so silly, you don't even know what you're doing. So both, it's a virtue, you have to grow in it. I think, which of course is why Paul sticks it in here to get you to move in that way. He calls it the way, the most excellent way or follow the way of love. If you follow the way of love, eventually you become a loving person and you feel differently about things. Does that make sense? Just, just give me an amen. Just show me a little love. Thank you. That was a moderate amount of love. I will continue preaching. Contemplative question number two. Uh, it's just something that I think of when I read this. Paul is characterizing love and telling me what love is like. What is the opposite of love? What's that? What's the opposite of love? Shout it out. What? Run away is the opposite of love. Disengagement, isolation. Sure, what else? Fear is the opposite of love. Maybe, that's interesting. We sometimes say fear is the opposite of faith. Faith and love certainly go together. If you're gonna be a good lover, you have to be a good truster. Yeah, this isn't that. What else? Apathy, yeah, that's one I hear a lot. The opposite of love is apathy. If love is caring for someone, the opposite of love is just not caring about anything. You know, hate is not the opposite of love necessarily because at, le at least hate is passionate. You're caring about something, usually the wrong things. Uh, but, you know, but just apathy, not caring. Sure, all of those really great answers. I think, I think that's a provocative question because it helps you think about qualities in your own life, you know, where you might be showing the opposite of what you're supposed to show. As Paul speaks about love, it occurs to me that, that he would probably say that the opposite of love is selfishness. Uh, the opposite of love is self-orientation. You think about yourself a lot instead of thinking about other people. You know, love is entirely other-focused as Paul describes it. Um, love is always about the other person. And that's real challenging for me as I think about my life. You know, catalog your thoughts someday. How much time do you spend thinking about yourself versus how much time do you spend thinking about other people? Uh, people have studied this. Do you know what the most frequently spoken word in the English language is? I. I. Um, which seems like it should mean something. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, we are self-obsessed people, by and large. And even when we talk about our spiritual gifts, we're usually talking about our spiritual gifts. 
as opposed to talking about our spiritual gifts or something like that. It's a matter of emphasis. Uh, number three, contemplative question number three. I read about love here. Um, uh, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. Always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Is love painful or joyful? Both. Oh, you think you're so clever. Um, love hurts. True or false? Yeah, you know, if, if self-sacrifice is the currency of love, sacrifice is, is painful. That's, that's one definition. Um, so, um, you know, keeps no record of wrongs. Is that painful or joyful? There are some, some bits of love that I think just vary with how mature you are. Keeps no records of wrongs. You don't hold anything against anybody. Is that going to require you to make sacrifices? Yes, yeah, so in that sense it might at least start out painful. But in the end, is it going to make you more joyful or less joyful to not be offended at people? More joyful. It's going to make you a heck of a lot freer, is it not? You know? Is it more painful or less painful to live life for other people? Think about the pain in your life. How much of it is caused by self-oriented frustration? You know, what if you didn't think about yourself very much? Would your life be more burdensome or less burdensome? Emotionally, at least. You know, we're told by um, the New Testament epistle writers that Jesus went to the cross for the joy sent before him. He had gotten to a place where that sort of self-sacrifice, the ultimate self-sacrifice, was actually joyful for him. It's like, you know, I can do this and it feels kind of free to me. Um, I'm, I feel good about this. Uh, I'm... I'm I have become fond of saying in life that love is one of the few things that carry its own reward. Love is just rewarding. If you're a loving person, you do feel better. Think about the most loving people you know in life. I would bet they're also among the happiest people you know in life. True or false? Yeah. If you want to be happy, uh, one of the keys is to be selfless. One of the keys is really to not regard yourself all that much. Don't think about it. You know, just get over yourself and be about someone else. Um, getting over yourself might, might involve some self-sacrifice, but ultimately, uh, I, I do think it makes you joyful and strong. Love rejoices with the truth. You know, there's a joyful quality uh, to it. Um, contemplative question number four. What's a... Uh, What's a loving thing that you did recently? When we read a passage like this where Paul so, so profoundly characterizes love for us and describes the way of love for us, I mean, you have to ask, how am I doing on this? And one pointed way of asking is, well, what's a loving thing that you did recently? What's something that you did recently that was entirely selfless, that was kind and patient and 
completely didn't recognize any wrong around it. I mean, there are probably people that you love on a daily basis, people for whom you show some affection or something like that. But let's think about, let's think about the sort of perfect love that Jesus and Paul are talking about, you know, love that uh, has to keep no record of wrong loving someone who does not deserve it or loving someone who's actually trying to destroy you, something like that. What is that for you? Think about it a second. When's the last time you showed love like that? Okay, for how many people is it hard to come up with something? Come on. How many people did something uh, selfless this week? this month? How many people have done something selfless at some point in their lives? How many people would like to do something selfless right now and actually respond to the preacher? Just so loving. Thank you. Um, That's a great inventory question, personal inventory, and a question that I ask myself, you know, probably once a week. Um, Have I loved somebody well this week? Uh, Something that we need to be really intentional about. So, contemplative question number five. Whom do you need to love well? Incidentally, that is the proper usage of the word whom. I have a PhD. Whom do you love well? Is there anyone in life that you love really well? You know, by Pauline terms, by Jesus terms. Someone that you love who totally doesn't deserve it, who requires a lot of patience, a lot of humility and not pride, a lot of keeping no record of wrongs. Someone that you love uh, really well. Uh, And uh, corollary to that question, whom are you not loving well but should? It's an important question, I think. Um, Unless you are an alien just visiting, you have someone in your life um, who does not treat you well. You have have some enemies. Does anyone here doesn't have anyone that dislikes you or has treated you poorly? Anyone? Because if there there are, I'd be happy to rough you up a little bit. I have a lot of pent-up frustration. I could just unleash it on you. Just anyone? No? Dang it. Um, anyone in your life that, uh, as uh, Sonia and I say, they are EGR people, extra grace required? Anybody like that? How well are you doing at loving them? Now, um, if great love releases great power, if perfect love always changes things, how motivated should you be to love those people? Faith expressing itself through love, as Paul says, would be loving those people with great faith, expecting godly return. Certainly in your own life, eternally, but perhaps in theirs as well. You never know some loving act that you do to them might end up shaping their life for the next 25 years. You don't know. Challenge. Challenge. 
to take away at the end of this sermon, we will end with this. I challenge you to pick one person to love in the way that this chapter describes. And challenge you to love them totally selflessly, without any wobble. And I challenge you to do it for 40 days. Every day for 40 days. What do you think? Are plans formulating in your mind? Give me some feedback. A person that you need to love with perfect selflessness, faithfulness, and attention, they might not like it. You're going to do it for 40 straight days. What do you think? I see a lot of eyes doing this. What do you think? Can we do it? How many of you think of somebody right now? It's about a third of you. Um, can we just do that? Uh, because here's, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church. It's, it's explaining to this, this young, tumultuous, messy church in Corinth. It's explaining to them how to live out faith practically in the world. It's describing what a church is. And it seems to me uh, that you know, a church should do well at the way of love, not just sort of randomly, but powerfully and intentionally. Uh, it seems to me, as Paul suggests, that doing well at it is probably the key to releasing all the spiritual gifts in, in a body. That if you do love well, then you will do power really, really well. Yeah. And so we should probably be about that. So I'm just kind of thinking, well, what can we do to kind of work this habit into, um, into our congregation? I think we have an unusually loving and affectionate congregation. I think you guys do better at this uh, than most. Uh, but, but virtue is a habit, right? Uh, and scientists, behavioral scientists say that if you can do something for 40 days, if you can do something for six weeks, then you can call it a habit. Or if you cannot do something for six weeks, you could say that you've broken the habit, which is why six weeks is the, the tipping point for those of you trying to quit smoking and stuff like that. Uh, 40 days. It's, uh, it's a very profound number. Let's pray. Well, we want to make this practical, Lord, is, is uh, what we want this morning. So I pray that you would help us to make love an often elusive concept <laughs> into something that is concrete in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us um, uh, a challenge to love uh, so that we would grow up to be loving people. Love is patient, love is kind. It is never burdened by envy or jealousy. It does not boast, it is not proud, it is humble. It never dishonors anyone. It is never self-seeking. It doesn't get angry. Love keeps no records of wrongs, doesn't even keep track. Love does not delight in 
evil. It doesn't delight when people are harmed or disappointed. It rejoices with the truth. Love always protects everyone. Everyone who needs protection gets it. Love always trusts. It makes itself vulnerable. Puts itself out there to be taken advantage of. Love always hopes. It never gives in to depression. It never decides that stuff isn't going to work out, so why bother? Love always perseveres, even when it doesn't seem to be working. In fact, it is eternal and will have eternal effect. It may come back to bless us decades in the future. Make us people of this love, Lord. Simply love. Then and only then, Lord, make us people of giftedness and power. In Jesus' name we pray.